I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Very pleased to have joining us again on the show today. We've got Maya Jaredot from Deseret.com and uh, has actually been over in Jerusalem uh, doing some reporting that we're going to just tease you with today. It'll be coming out in Deseret Magazine uh, here in the next couple of months. We'll have her back to talk about that for sure. Uh, but at uh, sundown tonight is the beginning of a, an important Jewish holiday, one that we don't talk about a whole lot, uh, but one that I think has great significance in that uh, not only is it a Jewish holiday, but it's one that that is really centered in a Jewish woman uh, and her story and her courage. So, uh, Maya, give, give us a little uh, bit of the backstory. Yeah. So, Purim is how it's said in America by, you know, the American Jewish population. Um, and, you know, you, you pointed out something really smart, Boyd, that we don't tend to think much about the holiday here. And I would say that's even true of American Jews. You know, I grew up really secular, and I didn't really know Purim until I lived in Israel. And there, you know, I, I, I felt the holiday in a way that you don't feel it in America. Um, you know, American Jews who are not very religious, who are secular, like like I grew up, um, tend to kind of, you know, do Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur, Pesach, Passover, and, some, and Hanukkah. And then the other ones kind of sometimes get skipped over. But Purim in Israel is like is a street party. It's like people are in costumes, people go to work in costumes. Kids are in costumes, adults are in costumes, you know, and, it, and it's kind of wild. Um, in America, you know, obviously it's, it's marked at synagogues and in a lot of, you know, Jewish schools. And the holiday revolves around the story of Esther. Um, one of the first things I, I love about the story, it, it actually revolves around the book of Esther. And one of the first things I love about this story is that the first time Esther is introduced in the book of Esther, um, she's referred to as Hadassah by her Hebrew name. Um, and so this is a person with two identities and, and two names to go along with those two identities. Right. She's got her kind of um, secular name, you know, that she moves around ancient Persia with Esther, um, which, by the way, the, the Hebrew root of Esther um, is to to hide. Leasir is the is the word in Hebrew, which means to hide. And then um, she's got her Hebrew name Hadassah. Now she's being raised by by her uncle. Uh, sorry, her cousin Mordechai. Um, but he has uh, kind of adopted her. She's an orphan. So at the center of the story, you have this really interesting, complicated character. She's an orphan with a hidden identity who's been adopted by her uncle. 
Um, and I, I just think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so uh, telling. And, and we've been focusing a lot this month on Women's History Month and, and some of these important stories. And, and I actually think the story of Esther is one of those critical stories uh, of history where uh, where women really did reshape nations and, and generations. Uh, and I love this idea that, again, not from the perfect uh, background or upbringing, that she did have these identities uh, as she moved about. Uh, and then, as always is the case, there there is that moment where uh, you make really hard choices that require courage and, and rely on really deeply grounded character. Yeah, well, and that's what the story's all about, right? I do want to add that, that it begins, the story opens with another kind of strong Jewish, or not Jewish, I'm sorry, another strong woman, um, which was Queen Vashti. And um, when her husband asked her to come to uh, and reveal her beauty at a feast, she refused and she was banished. Um, so, I mean, the story is rooted in or begins in this kind of female rebellion, if you will. And then Esther is then selected from a, a beauty pageant, if you will. Um, the story's a little bit more complicated than that. But she is then selected as the, the next queen. And she, you know, reveals her identity to the king to save the Jewish people who have been condemned to death by um, how American Jews say Haman. Haman has condemned the Jews to death because Mordecai, Esther's cousin slash, you know, kind of father, um, refuses to bow to him. And when Mordecai refuses to bow to, to Haman, who is basically like the king's prime minister, um, he gives the explanation that, you know, he won't bow because he's a Jew. And so this story is also really rooted in like a very um, steadfast, very public display of faith. Right. On Mordecai's part, that like he will not bow to an idol. And and that's what bowing to the prime minister would be right in Judaism. It would be idol worship. And so he refuses to do that. And Haman finds out, you know, that that he's Jewish um, and says, "Okay, you know, so all the Jews of the kingdom will be put to death. Um, And ahead of this, you know, what is supposed to be a terrible tragedy, um, Queen Esther fasts. And then, you know, she decides that she will reveal to the king her, her Jewishness and, and ask him, you know, to save her people. And so there are actually a lot of religious Jews are fasting today, you know, um, as, as the Queen Esther. Uh, I love that in this this public display of, of faith. Uh, we've been talking a lot about that this month as well. Uh, as we look at faith in the public square and you look at places like Ukraine, uh, I, I think the things that Vladimir Putin fears the most are faith and freedom. Uh, and when you combine those two things, I, I always say it doesn't end well for dictators. Uh, but when you don't have that ability to have that public display of faith or people who who either are cancel cultured or or self uh screen themselves in terms of what they're willing to share mm-hmm. in the public space uh and i think uh this story really tells that in such a compelling way uh and and i i didn't realize the fasting on the front end of this because i usually think of this as a holiday of, of kind of big party and uh, you even uh, joke at the beginning of your piece at deseret.com that that most of these holidays are you know they tried to kill us they failed so we eat uh kind of mm-hmm. stories but this is much more than that isn't it yeah yeah well and i think too i want to say a couple more things about the fast i think um it's really important that you brought up you know putin and ukraine because um jewish communities that are fasting today a lot of them are doing it as an act of solidarity with ukraine so it's like Ukraine is also front and center in the Jewish people's minds. Um, 
today, you know, as I'm, I'm not personally fasting, but I say we as we're fasting, like collectively. In fact, I got a, a call from a synagogue um, that I attend once in a while. I'm a, remem- I'm a member of a reform synagogue here in South Florida, but I sometimes pop into the Chabad um, place. It's a little bit of a different flavor, you know, and I got a, a call via email for, from them to, you know, fast today and to fast for Ukraine specifically. Mm. So, um, you know, there, there is that kind of, you know, thinking that's really prevalent right now in the Jewish community's mind. But, um, but I think that the fast, you know, I, whenever you fast before a feast, you know, it sharpens the contrast between deprivation and enjoyment. And I think that, like, you know, fasting um, before Purim or, or Purim really makes the enjoyment that much more. And, and that's one of the principles of the month, actually. Um, the Purim takes place at, during the month of Adar and the Hebrew month of Adar. And during Adar, we're supposed to be multiplying our joy. It's supposed to be a, a joyful month the whole month. Um, and, and that's what you know, so much of the holiday is about is that, you know, we were preparing ourselves for this horrible tragedy, but then, you know, at the last minute, God intervened, yes, to save us, but, but he intervened. It's not just God. It was the, 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 the active, you know, um, it was the agency of a woman who took this chance and, and stood in bravery and courage and, you know, unmasked herself and revealed herself to the king um, so, so it's about both. It's about faith, but it's also about the actions of the individual, yeah. um, you know, as, as an agent of change. I love that. And uh, just real quickly before I let you go, uh, I know it is a uh, holiday where there is lots of a uh, lot of the festivity, their costumes, of course, that that mask, the revealing, uh, as you talked about at the beginning. Uh, but I love one thing you said in your piece uh, that is the kids and sometimes it's kind of a, a kid focused holiday, although I think the lessons are all there for the adults if they'll just open their eyes. Uh, but you mentioned that every little girl wants to be Queen Esther, uh, and I just think that's such a, a compelling thing to be. Uh, Want to be that kind of hero, that kind of character, that kind of that kind of faith. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I feel like um, Jewish women are known for being very strong, and it's something I've I've always wondered about, like where that comes from, where the reputation comes from, where the idea comes from. You know, and it's something I've observed in my own life, in my own family. I'm surrounded by strong Jewish women. And, you know, I, I have to wonder, even among the most secular of us, if there isn't some element of, of knowing about Queen Esther and, and, you know, trying to always emulate that throughout our lives. Uh, fantastic. Great insight, as always, Maya Jared. We'll have you uh, back on to uh, talk about your travels in uh, Jerusalem and in Israel. And uh, this is a great piece, again, at Deseret.com. Uh, an important holiday and, and important for all of us to recognize character uh, and no better example in Women's uh, History Month uh, than Queen Esther. Maya, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Boyd. So many important lessons there. And as we look at uh, our final segment coming up, the question is, can one person bend history? I'm going to make the case using Bobby Kennedy in South Africa. You don't want to miss this. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately 
we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.